Hey everyone, really happy that you're listening. Thanks for tuning in with me today again. Um, today was a really funny podcast episode recording day. We were sitting in the gorgeous Amsterdam Soho house. If you're a member, good for you. Um, we were just sitting there in the most beautiful private dining room. And then during the episode, of course, people come in to bring us cappuccino so that you might hear during the episode. Sorry for that. We just didn't want to stop the recording. Uh, and I actually thought it was kind of funny. So we just left it in. The cappuccino was for Derek Bruce. And Derek Bruce is an HR and talent development senior who has been working all over the world with market-leading global organizations in the fashion, financial services, media, retail, and technology industries. It was a really lovely conversation, one that went from really surprising moments. Like sometimes he says, when you're offered a job, the best thing you can do for the company is not to take it. Uh, he also told about his really kind of obsessive shoe buying behavior, or at least he has an obsessive love for one type of shoe. Very important, of course. He gives a couple of great advices, jokes aside, namely how important it is to become a good storyteller in order to be successful at work in the future, especially. Um, and also how writing can really help you to become better at complex communication. And I, I never expected that answer to that question of what are the capabilities for the future. So for me, it was a surprise, but it totally makes sense. And um, he explains why, and he also gives some good recommendations on how to start. He also gives, I think, a beautiful view on what leadership is, namely a good leader should be a selfless leader. So I hope you have fun. And by the way, do check out the show notes because he gives some nice advices for his favorite podcast and his favorite um, um, ideas or socials. And then I give a really good book tip. So please do check those out. And I hope they are as useful for you as they have been for us. Bye. Thanks for listening. Derek Bruce we have as a guest today, and he is a head of learning, leadership and talent development with great background in improving employee experiences, consultancy and business transformation. He gained all that experience from working with market leading global organizations in the fashion, financial services, media, retail and technology industries. Derek's experience of working on successful leadership, learning and talent development transformations in the UK Europe, you've worked in the Americas and Asia, and that has ensured that you're able to adapt your style to suit different cultures. Well, yeah. that would be interesting to talk <laughs> about today. Um, currently, Derek works for Signify, and there he's a director of leadership development. And within that role, he focuses on three areas, deploying business-related centralized learning programs for leaders, providing consultancy service to management teams, and HR to address business needs and be the organization's thought leader on leadership development. I like that one particularly. Now, he's also the founder of Derek Bruce Associates. That's your own company, yeah. your own organization, which started in 2008 and that provides coaching and learning and development consultancy. And last but Mm -hmm. Not least, because I really like this, you also initiated and run the Extraordinary Mentors Network, which is a mentorship program that provides people of color with mentors yeah. and opportunities, right, yeah. in, in business career. Now, 
thank you so much for being here. Thank you. Thank you for inviting me. <laughs> um, we're recording today in the beautiful Soho house in Amsterdam. So for all the listeners joining us today, if you hear weird sounds, door slamming, um, it's because we have a hallway right next to the recording studio. We're sitting actually in a beautiful, it's a private dining room. So you can rent this space if you have mm. business things to discuss. Um, very chic. But right next to us, I think there's another event going on. And we just ordered espressos yeah. for you, for Derek. <laughs> essential. Because you came in. Yeah, it's an essential. So if you hear things, listeners, bear with us. It's early morning. It's 9 a.m. in Amsterdam. And uh, we're all just waking up, including the hotel guests here. Cool. But um, today we have 30 minutes or so to mm -hmm. discuss all this. Mm -hmm. So let's just kind of dive in. We typically have just a conversation you and I just yeah. already started, but there are a couple of fixed questions that come back every time. And the first one is, before we start talking about the future, mm -hmm. I'm so curious, what did you want to be when you grew up? Yeah, that, I, I was thinking, this is a really interesting question. And initially, what I wanted to be was an architect, believe it or not. Um, I loved drawing, I loved design, I liked the idea of making spaces people could live in and being creative and even did a, in the UK, like a Yeah, because you were born experience. in London, yeah, right? Yeah, born in London, moved to Amsterdam in 2013. And I had this whole idea about being an architect and kind of that was it. That was, that was the idea of what I wanted to be when I was young, I would say. Yeah. Do you think, do you still like architecture? Is that still a... I like design. So I like interior design. I like looking at buildings. I like how the form and design over function and so forth as well. I like that idea when I look around buildings and houses and offices. Um, so yeah, I still have this kind of eye for visual things. Um, well, you, you like beautiful stuff because yeah. I read somewhere that your wife says that you have too many <laughs> shoes. And looking at these shoes that you're wearing now, I see, are they superstars? What are, yeah, yeah, friends? so I, I do the have very a... very green, fluoresce collar. Yeah, I do have an unhealthy obsession, she says, with Adidas superstars, mm. um, which is a brand of trainers. There are obviously other brands of trainers. Um, and I have, I think, last count, I think 12 individual pairs. And even I was in London last week and got another pair. Um, so it, it's, I don't know what it is. It's just my, my vice. I think that's my so it's vice. espresso and shoes. That's, yeah, yeah, that's kind yeah. of the essential. Definitely, yeah. <laughs> but I'm thinking, perhaps this is a bit far-fetched, but mm. one of my business coaches once taught me that if you set up a business, yeah. the first few years you'll be running the business, like you will be literally yeah. making the coffee, doing yeah. the admin, etc., and set out the strategy. Yeah. And she told me, at some point, you become... You stand above the business. You yeah. have a eagle's eye. You become the architecture of the yeah. business. Yeah. Now, if I'm reading your whole, whole bio, you give advice to companies. Mm -hmm. um, you give advice to HR. So yeah. perhaps you still have that architecture thing in you, but now on business level. Yeah, I mean, I think that's, that's a great analogy. And I think if I look at my role now, and especially the last five years or so, it's very much been looking at, the bigger picture, very much being looking at how an organization can grow, how people can grow, how the experience they have can be improved. And not from a detail level, but from a planning strategic high level as well. So yeah, so maybe the visual, the, the concept of building, have to make an excuse a phrase, has also moved into my HR or my learning leadership development role as well. Yeah. yeah. And so I was I was reading the whole bio, but I can imagine that if there are listeners 
it went perhaps a bit fast yeah. um, or they don't really understand what all the different roles <laughs> entail. So if I say you're currently working for Signify as a director of leadership development, yeah. what does that mean okay, in practice? Okay, so in layman's terms, and we, and we do in HR have random terminology, it basically means... It's any, a different language, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, which is sometimes good, sometimes annoying. It basically means making sure when somebody moves into a role where they have the privilege of managing people, they do it right. That, that's the basic of it. So making sure they're aware that when you manage and lead people, there are nuances which change when you do your own role. So if you're on a Friday afternoon a salesperson, you get promoted, you've now got a team of seven salespeople. There's a big difference in how you come across, a big difference in how you think, a big difference in responsibility you have for other people as well. A big difference in terms of how you continue to learn, how you create the right environment. So my role is to make sure when people have that privilege of managing people, they do it right. That, that's the, the layman's terms, I would say. I like that because I can see now as a trend where you, I think before it was, you you somewhat got born as a manager. Like it was just a job <laughs> that you had when you were yeah. 25 and then you yeah. would become, you would stay the boss. But yeah. now you have experts that become managers as well. So you yeah. have this mingling of fields oftentimes we, because we need tech experts. Yeah. And they also need to be the managers because they're the best at their... But if you're really techie, it doesn't mean you're really no. good at being a manager, yeah. right? So they yeah. have to kind of learn or be be helped there. Yeah, and I mean, if I look back at my career and the different business schools, exec education, the money which has been spent on training managers and leaders, um, it's a hard thing because the top three reasons, one of the top three is always why people leave organisations is the manager. So it's, it's a fundamental thing to make sure we get right in organisations. And it's something which you might be, as you said, the greatest tech person, the greatest finance person, the greatest marketing person. That doesn't translate into being the greatest manager of people in tech, finance and marketing as well. And that's where my role is really central to make sure if you're not the right person, then don't take the role on and we help you do other roles. But if you are... Make sure you evolve and nurture the people in your team because that's what keeps companies going. And do you think, can anybody be, learn to become a better <laughs> leader or, or a somewhat good leader? Or is it something that you have to have in your yeah, blood? Yeah, I've had this discussion with so many colleagues and friends over the years. And I think it's something which, it's a mindset. So I don't know if, you, if you're born a leader. I think there's always that phrase, you're either born or not. I don't think that's the case. But I think there's a certain mindset you have to have or acquire or move towards where you become selfless. Um, and I think that's one of the things where good leaders, good managers are selfless. The ones who aren't are the ones who think about themselves. So you can evolve from being a bad manager to a good manager, but it involves a huge amount of self-awareness a huge amount of understanding and willingness to change, but also a huge amount of understanding that the role you play as a manager, as a leader, impacts people's lives. And I don't think managers and leaders always appreciate that, not just looking at a company or a team or a function, but it's individuals. All of these companies we talk about, different brands, are just a load of people. And the role and, and how you come across and what you do impacts people which impacts culture, department, organizations, companies. Yeah. So I think that's where people can be trained, but the mindset has to be open to wanting to be better as a leader or manager as well. I love what you say there because I think, oh, there comes the coffee. It's no, it's fine. I was warning the listeners, we're going to have espresso. Wonderful. Thank you so much. It's fine. But I recently had a discussion because 
we at Hatch, we help companies become more future-proof, right? And then someone said, well, would you work, you know, why do you work in the corporate world? Because corporates, you know, and there's a very negative association sometimes with like banking companies or whatever. Yeah. And I am sometimes a bit baffled by that because I always think it's not, I don't see a building in front of yeah. me when I think of a company. It's just thousands of people. Yeah. And if you help them become more future-proof, by which we mean like more courageous mm -hmm. leader, more mm. empathic, uh, yeah. and more intuitive, yeah. more all these things that you can learn a little bit or help, we can help them with them, then you create nicer people and that creates a rimple effect, you yeah. know? Yeah. So, so I like that approach. Mm, I think if we talk about great leadership or mm -hmm. future leadership mm -hmm. or... What do you think is most needed now for leaders to, to work on for over the next decade? Yeah, I mean, I think, especially the, the impact of 2020 on society in general, I think for me, there's a big shift towards um, empathy. Um, empathy in a context of being aware of people's mental, physical, emotional health. And I think as a leader, somebody managing a team, that's now more important than will be over the next five, ten years, because I don't think situation we have now with COVID is ever going to go away. So yeah. there's always going to be that anxiety people are going to have when it comes to work, the workplace and so forth. And you also think that the hybrid remote way of working will be part of our lifestyle? I think, I think I'm going to word this in a, in a good way. I think for sensible companies, yes. I know and I've read there's numerous companies who have this mindset that it's all back to the office Monday to Friday, night 24-7, physically. And I don't think those companies are going to retain talent. I think people won't leave, but I think talent will, because I think talent will see those opportunities to do what they do in organisations which have that hybrid. And I think hybrid, and not just business-wise, but society-wise and also ecologically-wise as well, makes more sense. Less people travelling, people live in different cities, you spread out where people are coming from. You know, it kind of has a nice ripple effect if people work hybrid anyway. But I think the, the empathy is going to be a huge need for leaders to move towards being empathetic with the people and their companies as a whole. But at the same time, and this is really, I, I agree with you completely. Mm. And I also think, and that is, I, I find that hard with, with managing my own team. If yeah. I do it on screen, mm -hmm. it's different. Like, yeah. you know, our senses are just less you adapted just see the to... the top half of Yeah, somebody. and you can't really see. Like, if yeah. I'm sitting here with you, I could sense whether... You'd be nervous or annoyed, yeah. or I can. There might be bigger pupils that yeah. I hardly, I can, I can't see it consciously, but unconsciously I will. Yeah. But over Zoom, you have these yeah. awkward silences because the intuition doesn't really work. Yeah. So what do you advise leaders? Because it's hard work for them to yeah. to keep up the good spirit. I mean, I think that's where the hybrid bit comes in. So for me, I don't advocate this whole everybody works from home, everybody works from the office. I think either extreme is an extreme. For me, I think the ability to do things which you can do at home, and again, a context being the home space is a space to work and it's easy for a person to work in. But I think there's also the need for leaders and teams to physically meet. I think for me, the idea around never seeing a colleague again physically is a nightmare. Um, and so that's where I think from a leadership perspective, there are certain conversations you can have on Zoom, if, if it's a tactical, logistical, A, B, C, D. But if you're talking about coaching, if you're talking about career development, if you're talking about learning, 
that's where you then have that moment where you use the other part of a hybrid, which is let's go somewhere, grab a coffee, let's go to a park and have a walk. Let's do something where we see each other and I can see how you deal with this situation. You can talk to me about how you're really feeling about that piece of learning. And I think that's where the benefit of a hybrid model really works as well. But you can still have the face-to-face because I think, end of the day, we're all human beings. Yeah. And cavemen weren't walking around behind Zoom and, walking, you know, they weren't doing that. They were with people and we need that as human beings. Um, yeah. So I totally agree. You only see an element on Zoom. And I think for me also, I've met lots of people in the last few weeks since we've been able to come out of the, the lockdowns. And I've not, I realised a couple of people I've not seen from the shoulders down. So I didn't know how tall, how short. And I'm like, oh, wow, you're quite tall. So there's that kind of thing as well, which is just nice to put up a proper picture when you then go back to having a Zoom conversation as well. It's funny because you're going to meet my companion, Martijn yeah. Boomsma, who's the co-founder of Hatch in, a, in an hour or so. Yeah. You guys are going to have a coffee. You'll be in for a surprise because the man <laughs> is bigger than he seems over the Zoom screen. But he's Dutch, so he's probably very, very tall. He's very tall. Um, yeah. But... I kind of skipped over this, but I think you said something really interesting, namely the empathy part, Mm. um, where I instantly thought on -on one-on-one, how Mm. are you feeling? But I think you also meant something different, namely, in your team, there will be, and we talk about this more often, there will be polarization Mm -hmm. on different topics, perhaps on COVID, perhaps on which measures should should we take. And that that can be hard. So the one person might be afraid. Mm -hmm. The other person might think this is all overdone. I just want to get back. And then as a manager, you have to kind of build bridges or or sense what's going on, right? Yeah. And I think that's why for me, empathy is a big um, element of how leaders are going to lead because you're going to have so much more to deal with. So if you go back five, 10 years even, most of the start of leadership was very much, you know, I know the most, I can direct you, I lead you, which thankfully we've kind of moved away from. Because if you look at especially tech organisations, you hire in talent if you're a good leader who knows more than you. So they're the ones who help you build whatever you're building, but you actually guide them in the right direction. And I think having the empathetic ability to understand how the people and how the team are doing as well, and actually make sure you change your style to suit individuals, which I think is another essential for me in terms of what leaders need to be doing is also one of the key things in terms of leadership and management going forward because everybody will have different buttons or triggers which make them perform better and ones which actually make them perform worse as well and it's up to us as leaders to make sure we know that John for example it's really good to do this but if you talk about Sharon for example that same behavior that same kind of style doesn't really work with her so being able to kind of tap into what works for each member of your team as well to make sure as a team, you get the best out of them as well is really essential for me. I'm now reminded there's a um, sociologist, Richard Sennett, and he did a lot of work amongst tech employees Mm. back in the days a bit. But what he found was also that now tech experts, because they're so specialized, Mm -hmm. sometimes they know so much more than the managers that they basically stop communicating because the managers can't check anyway. And so... Perhaps I can add to the mix next to empathy or also sensing when you're not understanding or yeah. when you need more information. So being really intuitive, be really... We also need to become much better, I think especially leaders, in complex communication, yeah. which might mean, please do explain me because I need yeah. to understand, you know, if you build an algorithm, 
that's important. And you don't want to not share the information on which the algorithm is going to base decisions, yeah. right? Because we've seen in the Netherlands that that can lead, you know, with the tix yeah. company, for example, recently we had a big thing where apparently an algorithm was made to make decisions based on socioeconomic data. And mm-hmm. it was all good intended. Mm. So, some of it was good intended. Yep, yep. Yeah, there's, there's, but it yeah. wasn't, you know, I think... Um, the consequences were negative. Yeah, the, the consequences yeah. were extremely racist and negative. Yeah. That's yeah. what it came down to. Yeah. And I think this happens more and more often where you have that niche expertise, yeah. but the actual manager and a tech expert don't really talk. Yeah. And so they will both have to be empathic towards mm-hmm. each other and, you know, don't yeah. just gossip like, oh, dumbass, he doesn't understand anyhow. And they have to learn to speak each other's language. Yeah. So how, how, if you could give one, say that I'm a very techie person. Okay. My best talent is really in building AI. Yeah. My not so great talent is perhaps yes. in sensing other, or, or seeing what another person yeah. means or sensing someone's voice. Do you have one tip in how I can improve myself? I, I would have two tips. Okay. Um, I would say the first tip would be to look into the foundation of storytelling, um, to understand how stories are made to sequence and how you can then use those tips to tell your story about what you're doing. And the second tip would be to also look into writing, as mm-hmm. in like business writing, fiction writing, whatever kind of writing. I'm doing something really weird. See, they yes, they gave see. me a pot of tea. And I thought I would have to pour this into the siphon, but it's not exactly working. On Enio's is showing me. Ah, now I understand. Okay, so Sip of a tea. listeners can't see this, but I'm just <laughs> making a complete fool of myself. See, this is all too hipster for me. I can't do this. So I'm just going to do this, right? Perhaps I need an assistant. The tea is now in a cup. The tea, <laughs> the tea was already, it wasn't that hard. It was already in here. Okay, so I have my tea. But if you say, thanks, thanks, Ennio, our, our audio expert and is expert. also very empathic <laughs> with me. Thank you. But if you say, dive into storytelling, what mm-hmm. would I learn from that? I think you just learn that there's certain structures which help you get information across. Stories are based information in a nice way. So in terms of creating the simplicity for the reader, for example, rather than the simplicity for you, in terms of making how you think about it engaging as well, and in terms of thinking how information is disseminated, I think for especially tech individuals, storytelling is a great skill to have because it then means whatever you do, you can ideally tell somebody who hasn't known a thing about what you're doing as well in a way they can understand. And I think that supplemented by understanding how to write out what you're thinking. So courses, there are lots of courses around business or fiction writing, but I think doing anything which teaches you just how to write out your thoughts on paper also is a good way of understanding or getting to understand how to get other people to understand what you're talking about as well. So when it comes to communication of information from technical people, I always think storytelling is a great functional, functional foundational skill, but also learning how to write I think, and how to write out what you're thinking is also great because then the conversations you have are not just coming from your perspective, they're coming from the perspective of a person who's going to read or listen to ideally your story or read your article as well. Yeah, I think the nice thing with writing is that you, or if I reflect that with myself, is you're writing and you're also aware that somebody might read the text and so you already have kind of an outsider's perspective 
looking along your shoulder, right? Yeah. Looking over your shoulder. So yeah, yeah I can see that. Yeah. Great tip. So what, what are some of the things or what perhaps is the main thing that you had to learn in order to get from the boy who wanted to be an architect wow. to here? Um, I think, and this probably goes back to the third element around what leaders will need. It's actually to appreciate messing up, <laughs> to be honest, is to appreciate ballsing up, messing up. Um, that was the third thing I had to learn. Um, Failing forward. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and, and I did a TED talk a couple of years ago, and it was around... Oh, we'll, we'll link it in the show notes. Might be nice perfect. for people to know. Um, and it was around, basically, I ride motorcycles and have done for years. And on a day of my test, I had to do something called just like a U-turn, which is a turn like that to you. Yeah. Been riding bikes for about a year beforehand, doing a test. And on that particular morning, I tested at two o'clock, basically 10 o'clock, tried to do a U-turn and got halfway through and dropped the motorbike on my leg. Mm. So exhaust burns everywhere, thinking, oh my God, I'm going to fail my test. Um, and my instructor, who was this amazing guy, just said to me, okay, you know, one obviously I've got a bike off my leg, my leg is now not steaming. He went, what did you learn? Hmm. And I'm like, well, bloody hurts for one. He said, no, but what did you learn? He said, well, I need to be going a bit fast. I was going too slow. So when I got to the apex of the U, I kind of didn't know enough how to get through. I said, okay, cool, that's it. And that's all he said about it. So I then got to the test at half past two, two half past two, and just remembered at that point to make sure I had more power or gas or whatever the phrase is. And so I think it's kind of learning from mistakes and appreciating whatever I do, I'm going to mess something up. Whatever I do, it's always going to be right first time. But rather than beating myself up about it, rather than not even talking about it, it's kind of to appreciate, okay, that's happened, I've learned from it. But also to share it and not be scared of talking about failure. And I think, going back to your question, what is it leaders need to be able to do going forward? It's also to appreciate, I don't know the answers. I may mess up, I might do stuff wrong. And be happy to admit that. Because coming out of COVID, nobody knows what the hell we're going to be this time next year in terms of vaccines, work, hybrid, whatever. We're all assuming it's back to the old normal, whatever the phrase is. But we don't know. And so as leaders also, you don't know what's going to happen in your organisation, the customers, the social situation. Nobody predicted Afghanistan, for example, back in January. So I think it's the ability to appreciate mistakes, the ability to fail forward, to use a design thinking yeah. phrase, and the ability to also admit, you know what, sometimes I just don't know, and I'm going to ask you guys, how do we do this and have yeah. that vulnerability? Because we work quite a lot with leaders, and we often hear now as well, you know, authenticity is another mm. very popular phrase, and nobody knows what it means anymore because it's been so overused. Yeah. But... The ability to be honest and transparent mm. with your team instead of, and I think this comes down to what you began with, like, oh, leaders used to be the guys yeah. or women that just knew mm -hmm. or thought they knew and they would lead others into that. And now you see more democratization yep. and flattening uh, horizontal organizations where a team leader might say, these future is so uncertain. I simply don't know what we should do. I'm not certain. I have this idea, but exactly. can I, you know, yeah. throw it in the group and can you reflect with me or can you help me think yeah. of a better idea? And I think that's now much more appreciated and perhaps needed. Yeah, I think so. And especially with products being so fast moving as well. I mean, there's nobody who's going to know everything. So that's where you kind of, if you have that group thing, to use a phrase, um, in a right way, um, that definitely helps, but the need for leaders to 
create an environment where people also answer those questions honestly, don't feel threatened if the response isn't what the leader expected, and feel safe to go, actually, we don't know either, so, but we can project with you, we can guess with you. Um, so I think that's also really important in terms of leadership managing that the environment you create has to be one which encourages people also to, yeah. to open up, to say stuff, to also think, okay, if I mess up, that's not it. I'm not, you know, and as you said, people don't talk because they don't think someone's going to listen. That's the worst possible scenario to be in, I would say. Yeah, and I think we have a courageous leadership program, for example, mm. where it's an intensive, and then we go with leaders first, you know, we help them become more courageous. Yeah. But then it's also, how do I make my team more courageous, yeah. which also entails, how do I create a atmosphere of vulnerability where they can give me feedback yeah. and feel safe? Because yeah. sometimes you're just being an asshole, but you don't know, right? Yeah. Or you respond in a way that really terrifies people. And then you think you have an open culture, yeah. but you're not creating that ripple effect because you might be trying to be a good leader, but then people are just not opening up to you and then you don't get the best ideas, right? Yeah, so yeah. that's really... We talked quite a lot about like individual skills and capabilities, but if you look at the whole organizations, um, what do you think future-proof organizations will need in the future? And I'm thinking, for example, about the topic of inclusivity because mm. that is where your mentorship yeah. um, program or organization really focuses on, right? If I think about the focus on inclusivity, diversity, equity, and, and so forth, I think one of the things organizations need now, not in the future, is processes and mindsets which embed it as the norm. Um, and if I, if I go back, I've been in HR for a few years, and when it comes to inclusivity, we've had lots of policies around gender. So you need to have a certain percentage of women in roles and then potential women in leadership roles. And we've had this for years. If I look at trends across organizations and countries, the figures are still way lower. The figures in terms of pay quality are way lower. So what's happened is that's not embedded. That is still an additional thingy, additional thing to add into what we do. For me, the concept of my of, of, sorry, challenging what we do around inclusion is, has, has, has to be key. So making the fact that we as an organization, for example, we just pay individuals the same. Gender is irrelevant. Yeah. That should just be a norm, as opposed to, oh, let's have a policy and measure. We make sure the best person is put in the role, and we don't actually then reference gender in terms of making sure we, ex we exclude, but we make sure we positively promote to mm -hmm. do that. And when we do that also... So you're pro-quota, uh, so to I am, speak. yeah. If I'm honest, this whole, you know, well, you can't... I think positive discrimination, you can't do that. For me, and it may not be the, the view people like, I disagree because the norm has been the norm for so long. Unless you do something which bucks that trend, you're never going to get to equality. You're always going to be catching up. So it needs to be a prototype you go, okay, do you know what? The same as, I don't know if you've seen, is this brilliant visual with two houses burning. Um, and one of the quotes is, you know, um, two houses burning, one house, and there's a guy with a hose. And the phrase is like, all houses matter, my house matters. Um, and the question is, okay, yeah. which house matters now? You know, and basically it's one. And I think, the whole equality of its gender, of its race, of its age, of its disability, that house is burning. That's where you need to be pouring the water now. And that's where you need to be going, okay, the house next door doesn't need any water so far. So we have a perfect amount of, to use a generalization, white male demographic yeah. in organizations. Yeah. We need to possibly make sure we, we kind of move that 
to a different kind of level where it's more equal. So for me, having a focus where you get more talent in, but also you make sure they're staying. And I think that's the key thing for me around inclusion and diversity. It's great to say, okay, we're going to, include, we're going to recruit these people, but then after a year, they've all gone. So what is it that needs to change in terms of the environment as well? So that's a thing to look at in terms of as well. And I think there's also where you come to a situation where the existing status quo, where individuals who are in roles, and they've been they're being offered roles where they think, you know what, I really should be saying no, because unless I start saying no as an individual who's privileged, it's not going to change. Mm. So I think there's those kind of things that need to be changing in terms of mindset, but also fundamentals in organisations. So it's not about the policies or the quotas. It's around having a mindset and a bravery to say we're not going to carry on doing the same thing we've done for the last 20, 30, 40, 50 years. Well. I'm also thinking of next generations. Like if yeah. you have youngsters, then they need to have examples in order to understand that role could be mine. Yeah. And I can be damn good at it. But yeah. if you don't have that, um, you know, I, you often hear um, in the discussion about women... Uh, you often hear say, well, you know, I know very little girls who say when they are little, I want to be a director or a CAO. I'm like, yeah. yeah, but, you know, that's because probably they didn't think of it because their dad was one, but their mom Never. wasn't one. And yeah. that's changing. And yeah. so I think for the next generation, it, it might be, I want to be a princess or a CEO, you yeah. know, and that's that's wonderful. But I see a lot of other uh, groups, minority groups, or just repressed groups or mm -hmm. whatever, and they don't have those examples They're yet, or very few, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I saw something, and I remember this is years ago, and an example was, if you walk into any top 100 organisation, look at the board, it's generally white men. Yeah. You might even have an Indian guy, I'm, I'm generalising now, yeah, he's yeah. a finance person, but you might have a Indian, an Asian, it's kind of, but it's generally white men. And the, the quote that got me was, so if you walked into an organisation, and the whole board was black. Everybody in the board was black. Big organisation, top 10, footsie. Would that surprise you? And I thought, yeah, but for the wrong reasons. Mm -hmm. why, why would I not expect to see a whole board of black people mm -hmm. running an organisation? Or women, for example, yeah. or disabled people, or whatever ism you want to use. And I think that's where those images have to change, where the privilege, to use a phrase, yeah. have to kind of stand up and say, I'm not going to take this role. Um, but also the infrastructures need to be saying we're going to make sure we support people in these roles as well, whether it's through coaching, mentoring, yeah. more training, more space, and I think also more um, more scope to not feel pressurised. Because I know, and I've read lots of report, um, um, research on it, a man and a woman in the same role, which they, they're just moving into, the woman always feels less um, competent and a man feels more confident. And this is not just me, but this is research. This is kind of said, yeah. the man will wing it. The woman will be like, okay, I need to make sure A, B, C, D. And I think that then means that women are then deemed as failing first because obviously they don't just have this bravery. And I think that needs to change as well, where you go, okay, we have a person to write, and we know we have a bias, which means we can put more pressure on women than a man. So let's move away from that bias and actually give her the space to be successful as well. Yeah. So there's those kind of nuances that need to change as well for But me. that is very much from an organization um, level almost. And also yeah. if you say person or people should probably just not sometimes take a role, that also begets that you think from a holistic perspective yeah. 
and talk with the HR people or, or yeah. your own manager and say, hey, but for the, this would be really nice for my career, but yeah. is it the best for the company? And that's hard. That's really, that is hard. That's, <laughs> yeah, that's, that's difficult. But I guess if you're safe and you're being led to another interesting role that yeah. also have, has a safe payment, so you're not going backwards, then I can see it possible. Yeah. I mean, I mean, this is utopian. Yeah. Um, and I know. I mean. No, but it's an yeah. interesting thought. Yeah. yeah. And I, I think just very quickly, there's a in the UK, there's a lady, a girl who's been in a band called Girls Aloud. I can't remember her name. And she's just been given a show on a radio station called BBC Sounds called Me and R and B. Um, it's a, a white woman, she was a pop person, and she's been given this show. And I was reading the article thinking, oh, I can't remember her name, but I'm thinking there are so many better qualified people of colour who could be doing the show. And this is where, if the equity thing was in her mindset, she would have gone, do you know what, thanks for the offer, but you know, there are so many DJs, musicians, people in the music industry who are better to be talking about R&B than me. So let's make sure you give us somebody who actually deserves it and actually probably will do it better than I do. But she hasn't. So I think that's also, that is, is, is difficult to do because obviously you're giving up money, you're giving up a job, you're giving up status. But if you think bigger, which is kind of the same, what's the future needs? It needs that because it can't just be people of colour, women pushing it. It has to be people already in the system, already benefiting, also kind of pushing back themselves as well. Yeah, but that that circles back to also keeping things human and being empathic and intuitive. Because yeah. what you now see is that algorithms sometimes take over the first round of uh, yeah. interviews and selection of con candidates, right? And yeah. then you have that very popular example that I sometimes use in my lectures as well, where algorithms are trained to measure success on certain factors. Mm -hmm. And they will, for example, select people within the company who had bonuses. Yeah. But those are very often the white male managers. Yeah. And that doesn't necessarily say that they are the only ones that they're really good at their job, but it does say something about the working culture in which yeah. we appreciate certain skills yeah. or status or networks. Yeah. And then if the algorithm starts looking for those, the algorithm will find more candidates that are similar to those and just look over other candidates. Yeah. And on LinkedIn, if I were a black woman, I might not even see those job descriptions mm -hmm. because the algorithm doesn't select me. And that is very dangerous. And yeah. I think for that, we really need humans yeah. to reach out and really actively look and be aware of perhaps we need to kind of fill this yeah. gap or, yeah. But I think also, and that's, that's a great point, but if you look at who creates the algorithms, who programs yes. it, it's the same demographic again. Yeah. So if you have an unconscious bias we are creating And we all have. Yeah, then that's going to have a knock-on effect in terms of CVs, in terms of filtering, in terms of what people get. So there's also education and the people who are outsourced as well, making sure that when they think about algorithms, am I doing this from a perspective where I'm excluding a certain gender, race, age, because of my own bias? And that's been knocking on until what I do as well. So there's also element of education when it comes to inclusion as well, which I think is needed. And not training, but education. Yeah, I think there's yeah. a very interesting book. Um, it's called, I think it's called, it's not Weapons of Mass Destruction, but it's Weapons of Mass Data or something. Yeah. Um, I'll look it up and share it in the notes because that author writes about the way in which algorithms can be and have been mm -hmm. exclusive. Yeah, And it's a great read for if you're in the business of deciding on algorithms and what they can and should do, 
Um, and it's a great conversation starter mm. about unconscious bias in the work field. As a last question, do you have a book or a podcast or a film that you found really inspiring for your mm. own work? Um, and that would be nice for listeners as well? Yeah, there's two things that inspire me. One, there's a podcast called The 10% Happier. Oh, yeah. Um, so that I've listened to for ages. And I know the guy, I forget his name, he's now left, I think, CNN and actually he's doing this permanently. Um, so it's, it's a really great podcast. And it's a great one around anxiety, I think it should have been a year ago, and coping with the whole issue around coronavirus, which is brilliant because it was talking around the science behind why people are struggling. And it was just really, really good to kind of take that and learn from that as well. So from a podcast, that's one of my favourites. In terms, do, you, do you know the name of the second podcast? So the one is 10% oh, Happier? No, that is, it's, it's within the 10% Happier Oh, it, it is with it. Oh, yeah. perfect, yeah. But it was with... I'll, I'll see if I can find it and I'll share it with you as well. Yeah, but otherwise I think, you know, if people yeah. know this one, then they'll yeah, find it. It's within 10% Happier. In terms of films, actually, one of the things I love in terms of showing great leadership, um, and this is my techie element, is the old Star Trek series hmm. with um, William Shatner. Um, and I think if you ever go back and watch those, and those people who are older than, than probably 20 or 30 thinking what he's talking about, every week there's a scenario and every week there's conversations or there's aliens or there's something. And there's great examples of leadership every single week in terms of how he communicates, how he advises, doesn't know what to do, how he deals with being the one who's going to make sure the ship is safe. There's some great examples in the old original Star Trek series um, of leadership of management. And what I'd, I'd, I'd love to do, which I may well do now, is just get snippets to use leadership programs, obviously with copyright laws, mm -hmm. obviously adhere to, um, because I think Star Trek has some great examples of how to manage and lead people really well. And do you have one particular scene that you really recall or oh. like? God, no, there's so many. Um, mm. I can't think of the specific ones, but it's just... It's, it's, but it's the older ones, so yeah, it's no, not... This is not the ones with um, the, the films. This is the old ones where they had, you know, for example, they were, they were projecting the whole mobile phones and they had lots of stuff like that. It's the, the original Star Trek with William Shatner. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Wonderful. Thank you so much. So thank you for being here. Yeah, sure. uh, and for all the listeners, really a big thank you for listening to the episode of the Unmachine Yourself podcast. And if you found this story inspiring, and I guess you do, uh, because I certainly did, then please do share it with your own network and get the ripple effect going. We talked about the ripple effect a couple of times today. Um, and it also counts for this, because I truly believe that we need more future-proof leaders and organizations. And it's just so important to keep talking and inspiring each other because nobody really knows what to do and how the future will look like. So all we can do is kind of Try things out and get inspired by tips and try it out with your team and see what it leads to. Um, you'd make me really happy with a good review in iTunes because that makes the podcast easier to find for people who don't know it. Um, and if you think of a friend or of a colleague that really needs to listen to Derek Bruce's story, then please do share this episode. Um, in a couple of weeks from now, or perhaps months from now, we have to see the schedule. We're preparing a Q&A. So if you listeners have questions about the future of work, the future of leadership, perhaps even specific questions to one of the guests, or you want me to go and talk to a certain expert, please let us know. And the easiest way to do so is to go to our Instagram, that's at joinhatch, 
Um, and there you can send us a DM or we'll post a post with this question and then you can answer or ask your question below. And I promise that I will pick as many as I get stuffed in 40 minutes of podcast recording and then um, hopefully answer all the questions that you may have. I'll do my very best. Until next time.